This is Basketball More Than a Game with your hosts, Coach Goins and Coach Quick. Former high school coach and player have teamed up again to share their knowledge of the game and life skills on and off the court. Now here are Coaches G and Q. All right, this is Coach Goins, and you know Coach Quick ain't too far away from it because we are getting ready to bring you another dynamic episode of Basketball More Than The Game, the hottest podcast this side of a basketball court. Like we always say, make sure you got your sneakers on, you got them laced up tight. Coach Quick, what are we going to be talking about today? Man, Coach Coach G, you want to know what's popping with Coach Q? But well, Coach Q is so excited that he's going to be sitting here chopping it up with you, talking about college basketball, some of the big-time games that we've seen so far this year, and some of the things that's just popping off uh, in college basketball right now. So after this short break, we're going to come right back and get right to it. So make sure those sneakers are laced up tight. Coach Quick, you know what? We just came back off of a quick break. Yeah, we had to get some water because we get ready to throw down. So, Coach, man, let me tell you, college basketball, it's been interesting. And when I say been interesting, it's almost like you don't know who's going to show up on any given night. And people say, well, well, that's that's always where it is. But, no, what I'm saying this year is the ACC right now, if the tournament started tonight or the, say if this was Selection Sunday, the analysts are saying there may only be four teams at ACC. What's your take? Uh, you know, I completely agree um, for the simple fact. The ACC is pretty down this year. Um, it, it's pretty top-heavy. And then at the top, in my opinion, you have one team that I feel that can advance to the Final Four, and that's the Blue Devils um, from Duke. Um, but right now, those teams that would be in Duke, um, Wake Forest, Miami, and North Carolina um, is is my guess that would be the four teams that would be in the tournament if the tournament started today, if today was Selection Sunday. But out of that group, I just feel like Duke is the only one that could possibly go deep in the tournament, and there's no guarantee that they could, they could win it. I think they could be beat as well. In the, I, I agree with you, and here's the thing, man, it just – the whole transfer portal. I, I I don't want to get I don't want to get my needle stuck, and if I do, just just bump the turntable a little bit, then I'll and I'll move on. But then that that that, that transfer, just like Wake Forest, you know, Wake Forest was O for the world last year. You know, now here with some transfers. I mean, they're they're a pretty exciting team. Uh, I know they got my Pitt Panthers the other night, and uh, but just you know, and I know they went down to Florida State and and they beat Florida State this past week. So, it, it, Wake Forest, uh, you look at uh, who else is sitting out there. Uh, Florida State, you never can underestimate Leonard, uh, Leonard Hamilton and his squad. But, you know, I, I 100%, I think the four that you called out uh, is definitely can can make a run. Uh, somebody said, man, it's Sweet 16. You know, you, you basically win two games and you're in the Sweet 16. Yes, sir. You know, so you may, be, you may, you may catch a cupcake right here, may catch a cupcake over there, but I think what's going to end up getting getting Duke, just like we always say, is the guard play, you know. Uh, and then, then at what point is you know Duke's one and done's? Are they going to get you know? Are they going to get caught up in the the hype of um, all of the NBA scouts there? I think the game the other night, I think it might have been twenty plus NBA scouts at one of their games. Uh, so you know that that that's a lot of pressure on the kid uh, that's trying to 
to trying to win it for the team that's uh, that he wears on the front of his jersey and not looking to do what uh, was right for the name on the back of the jersey. So what's, what's your take on these young guys as it relates to the tournament and, and, and the team can do it without guard play? Well, and my take, especially on the um, guard play side of things, is this. You have to have two solid guards, and I mean meaning point guards, in order to go deep in this tournament. Your two guard has to be spectacular as well. But if you got two two outstanding point guards on your roster, I feel like that you can go go pretty deep in this tournament and win a win a championship. I mean, Keito, you go back to 1995, Ty Sidney. Um, it, it, without him, UCLA would have never won a national championship. That's right. You go, you go back to guys like Joel Berry. Um, the, what he did for North Carolina in 2017. I think about Ty Lawson in 2009. He was injured right before the NCAA tournament, but he was able to get back, and you see what the Tar Heels did in that tournament. I go back to Bobby Hurley, 1991-92 for Duke. I mean, without him, Duke doesn't win a championship. You, people can say, yeah, they could have plugged Grant Hill in, but without Bobby Hurley's play in the tournament, Duke doesn't win a championship. They don't go back-to-back, in my opinion. Um, and you just think back to over some, over the years and some of the recent winners, you have to have outstanding guard play in order to win a national championship. I think back to Carmelo's deal in 2003 um, with um, Jim Beheim whenever he won the national championship. The kid that's on, that's on his staff now, I, I can't recall his name, but I mean, he was outstanding point guard for him. Without him, Syracuse don't win a championship. You so, go ahead. No, exactly, no, no. I'm sorry, but you, you're exactly right. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you crossing all the T's and you dotting all the I's. It starts in the backcourt. You know, you, you if, even if you want to go all the way back to 1979, and that was my very first national championship game. I remember watching. That was Michigan State versus Indiana State. And I remember like it was yesterday, and somebody says, well, I said, because it was NBC, and that's when NBC stand, and Al McGuire was calling the game, and there was a guy named Irvin Magic Johnson versus Larry Bird. And, and when you look at it, of course, you know, Magic was, that was the, the start of the big guard. But, again, it, it was it's backcourt play. You look at North Carolina State when they won it in 83, and it to, almost to the same point, and think of people fail to realize that Derek Wittenberg he broke his he broke his leg that year, and then when he was able to come back, and then State went on that you know super super great run, uh, won the national championship. But their backcourt Derek Lowe, um, excuse me, Sidney Lowe, Derek Wittenberg, Terry Gannon, uh, and that's when the that's when the three remember, you I don't know you may be too young, but you remember when they kept experimenting with the three point line? Yes, sir. It was up, it was back, it was up, it was back, and then all of a sudden, guess what? Then they landed on it. But the road to Albuquerque and, again, the guard play. So you're exactly, exactly right. So, ladies and gentlemen, what we're doing today, we're breaking down college basketball so far in the season. And we have been very, very – it's been very, very interesting season. And we're going to step away. But as we step away, we want you to take a moment in time and go with us back in the black history. And we'll be back. China or even Russia or any totalitarian country. Maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain 
basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over there. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. All right, so listen, we're back in. So that, uh, Coach Quick and I just wanted to honor uh, some of our historical uh, past, you know, black leaders during the month of, uh, during Black History Month. And, of course, that was Dr. King, and that was just an excerpt from his mountaintop speech. Uh, Coach Quick, what was, and and I know you've posted some of the, uh, some of the speeches uh, during the month. So what's your take on when you hear that, when he's, when he's giving that mountaintop speech? Man, it just, you know, it takes me back. And just to have someone like Dr. King come along, I feel like he paved the way for us to have our first black president and President Obama. And, man, just just to hear him speak, I mean, it, it brings up tears and tears in your voice and puts a frog in your neck, so to speak. Just, just and it take, like I said, he paved the way for us to have a first black president. You know what? That's, uh, that's interesting, uh, that, that, uh, that you bring that up because you know what people don't realize is when you stop in some of the speeches, you know, you just have to listen to them just, um, just the sound, you know, because some of the video is, is bad because, you know, it's so long ago. Then, uh, then some of the speeches that we're able to hear actually has video. Uh, and then we're able to, to see the video. You could see the passion. You could see what uh-huh. it, you could see on. You could understand. Now, of course, everybody didn't believe uh, what he believed in, and he he understood that it had to be non-violence. Uh, but his the ability to to stand there and speak, the ability to do that. And back then, there, there, he he didn't have a teleprompter. He didn't have. He wasn't like the news reporter where it's running up on the screen and he's just reading it up on the screen. You know that those when you know, he was studied, you know, it'll be able to to eloquently put those things together. But like he said, somewhere I read, and he was and what he was talking about. For those of you who don't know, he was talking about the stuff that was in the Declaration of Independence. It was written by our forefathers, but then when we became you know citizens or you know we are in this country, you know he's asking for you know uh, races to be able to have the exact same things. Uh, that was written in that document. So that was just eloquently put. So throughout the show and uh, throughout the Black History Month, we're going to be, you know, playing different segments of different leaders and, you know, pivotal moments in our history and our country. So we just hope that you uh, appreciate that and appreciate Coach Quick's comments and in, in reference to Dr. King. So with that, Coach Quick, tell me, what, what do you think What do you think some teams need to do when you're looking at right now, uh, at the taping of this show, we're probably we're about middle ways of the season, and so what we're yes, gonna kind of do is just kind of go backwards in a couple games. So, and and uh, right after it, we're taping this show, and this show has been taped after the Duke Carolina game. Now I'm be honest with you, I was really blown away with that game in the first few minutes. I think by the time I got my I got my remote set out of my hand, I think the score was ten to two. What's, what's your take on if, if you're on the sideline and it's 10 to two, tell me what you would do if you're sitting in that chair. Number one, if I'm, if I'm the head coach of that, of the, of the Tar Heels, I would have called a timeout 
settled my guys down. And number one, I I, I probably would have started out the game in the zone because our guards have proven time and time again they're they're not they haven't been able to stay in front of quick guards. Um, real quick guards that can get to the cup. They hadn't been able to stand, stay in front of them. And then I also wouldn't have put my only big man. I would not have put him on a guy who believes in just driving, attacking you to the point of no return. I'm not going to do that. You compromised about your ball club whenever you did that. So I'd have called a timeout. I'd have made some in-game adjustments. I'd have went to his own defense at that point in time. And I got to develop my bench, man. I got to develop my bench. Seven guys just isn't going to do it, especially when you only got two bigs that are left in the program, pretty much. We all know the situation with Garcia. He's gone home to deal with a family illness. We know about that situation. So, I mean... The only reliable bigs you have is Brady Manick and Armando Baycott. Baycott got in foul trouble. By the end of the game, Manick was gassed. You played him 40 minutes. It can't happen. You got a young stud who's an athletic freak sitting over there on the bench and Dontre Styles, who needs to see some time. He needs to play. DeMarco Dunn, another athletic uh, kid who can shoot the ball, score the ball, and set your offense up. He needs to play. Yep. You know what? And, that, and that's a great analogy. And, and those are the things that, you know, as we look and we're really diving down into into the show is being able to understand that once you get to college basketball and you're playing Division One, and these coaches go out and they recruit, and, and here's the thing. I understand practice, but then when they step out on the floor, the coach can't, go, can't do but so much. And then as Coach Quick say, you know, D, when those guys can't stay in front of, then you got to be able to say, you know what, you're the coach. You got to call. You got to see. You, first of all, let me put it this way, Coach Quick. The, the coach knows what your team can do. You, you already know what you're good at, and you already know what you can't execute. So who, who am I fooling when I know that I can't match you up with Ralph Sampson? I know Ralph was on the show and you were kidding Ralph. You said you wanted to post him up. And Ralph says, you know, I'm a, I'm not here to kill your dreams. You know, right. right? So in that in that whole process, when you come out and Baycock is on Banchero, you got to say, you know, dude, what what's really going on? Because you know he's going to pull him out from the basket and then he's going to try to, he's going to give him a couple, I I, I call he's going to give him the, the, the dream shake. Then he's going to go by him, get him up in there and then draw a cheap foul on him. I mean, exactly. right. So, so now the guy's got two, you're going to sit him down. So at what point, because soon as he went to zone, coach K made, I had to make a move to be able to get a shooter in because they went to the zone. So in that, then guess what? What I would have done, if that's the case, I would have took Baycock. I would have brought Baycock up in the high post. I would have right. dropped him up in the high post. And then I would have had, um, if Mannix not open up out on the wings, then I'm gonna have my two guards love and the other was Davis is the other guard. I would have yes, I would have had him you know going back door on these guys. So pull pull them out and then use the back door on it. Because one thing about uh, Duke's guys or Duke's big guy, um, Banchet and Banchet, them Banchet he he gonna try to stand up there and pat that thing. And when he tries yeah. to pat it, they're gonna rip him. 
But in that, you pull him away, and then you don't put Baycock. I mean, Baycock is not – he's a five, but he, he he's not an athletic five. You know, he's a, right. he's a block-to-block guy. And when I say block-to-block, meaning he is from one side of the lane to the other side of the lane, and then what I want him to start doing is dunking the darn ball. You know, yes, you, you, you getting it down in there, man. You can't be laying it up. You gotta, you gotta throw that thing down when somebody's on you. Matter of fact, he's got to flush that thing because who, who came? Down, I think it was Davis came down one time and dumped it off to him, and he got it. And he went up and, and and threw it down with some serious force. Yeah, he's got to do that when he's got somebody on him, somebody on him that that's decent size, somebody that's on him even when he doesn't think they on him. So again, and I'm not here. And I, and as I told you, uh, pre-show, my thing is what's really going to tell is what Carolina does when they go into, uh, when they go into Cameron indoor, I think that's going to be the telltale, telltale sign because then they will be, they will uh, be playing in a hostile environment because when you get dusted like that on your home court, you know, you kind of say, okay, what happened? But now they've got enough games in between before they play again to really get their head around. Hopefully they'll review some tape. And we know we know they will. They may just throw it out. I don't know. They may say there's nothing on there that we can learn. But I will say this. When they play the game in Durham, in my opinion, and it's just me, that's going to be the telltale sign of that entire program. Your thoughts? I, I completely agree with that. Um, if, if they don't come back and make the adjustments that they need to make in that game, they're going to get beat by 50 in Cameron. And I'm just being real about the situation. But those guys have got to take some pride. They've got to say, hey, I'm going to stand in front of my man. I'm going to be able to guard. And I'm going to have the intestinal fortitude to stand up here and knock down a shot when it's time to knock down shots. And and let's call a spade a spade, Coach Yeah, go ahead. Whenever Hubert made the adjustment and put Leaky on Bankero, it it sort of took Bankero out of the flow. But then you then you put Brady Brady Manic on AJ Griffin. Mistake. That's a, that's another bad mistake. If if Leaky Black is your number one defensive player on the roster, on ball defender, then Caleb Love is your number two on ball defender. He should have been on on Griffin. Bottom line. No ifs, ands, buts about it. Yeah, it, it might have been a bad matchup to put Brady Manic on Wendell Moore, but I'd have, I'd have took my chances with that matchup. And I'd have put Caleb on A.J. Griffin. And and I'm going to say this, and, and to all the Carolina fans that may not like it, Carolina, Carolina this year goes as far as Caleb Love takes them. Mm. And Caleb Love, in my opinion, He's the most talented player on the roster. He definitely got to have it in between the ears, too, as well. Yep. But if you see this kid is struggling, pull him to the side, talk to him, gather him. But the Hubert Davis issue is he's going to continue to play those guys for 40 minutes, and it's not working. You got to give them some time to gather themselves. You know what? So you're hearing the perspective of uh, Coach Quick and Coach Goins as we break down a little bit of the Duke-Carolina basketball game. And you, you, you're exactly right, Coach. Uh, you know what? It is uh, – it's tough. You know, you hate it for the players. Uh, but in that, when the when the bright lights are turned on, 
you know, and that's why I want to give them a little more time uh, and then be able to see what they're going to do when they get to it. Because to me, that that's the real test. And I get it. And, and, and everybody hates to lose. Uh, just like uh, when my, my Panthers came out and they, they really didn't play well. It was almost, I'm going to uh, quote uh, Coach Capel. It was an embarrassment the first half. But how they played the second half was just like Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, but in that, you know, you, you hate it and you don't know what causes, you know, guys to, to play one way and then turn around and play, you know, totally different the second half. I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. If I did, I guess I'd be the, the coaching guru. But, you know, what we're doing today, we're giving you a perspective. Uh, college basketball, uh, of course, you know, it's almost like the Super Bowl of college basketball, which was the Duke-Carolina game. The Duke fans loved it. The Carolina fans, they hated it. But there's always part two. We're going to step away, and as we step away, we'll have another moment in black history. But we come back, we're going to be talking NFL football and what's going on in between the lines. And we'll be back. Although he said he was going to go back south and fight to change the, the system, and he was thinking about not just in Alabama or in Georgia, but he was talking about making our society more inclusive, changing the system so that everybody could participate. Uh, although he talked about that, at that time, we never dreamed that we would have an opportunity, that, that we would be projected into the forefront of the struggle as we were. Uh, we were just going to work from, as he said, a black Baptist church pulpit. Uh, that was the freest place, uh, you know, in the society at that time. But we had no no idea that what God had in store for us. And I do believe it was a divine intervention that we were thrust into the forefront of the struggle. ECC, we didn't do the full span. We were really kind of given our thought process on the Carolina game and what should have happened and what could have happened. You know, we, we don't sit in that seat. And uh, sometimes um, but what we try to do on our show is be a fair witness, you know, and just kind of call out what uh, to, to us, what the obvious stuff was. But what I asked Coach Quick to do now is we're going to transition to the NFL because over the last uh, couple of weeks we see that um, there's been lawsuits, you know, a file uh, from the former uh, head coach, uh, Flores uh, for the Dolphins. And when you look at this, and, 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 and I'm not trying to be facetious when I say this, but there's got to be more talent out besides just Mike Tomlin. 32 teams in the league, and out of the 32 teams, there's only one black head coach. I didn't realize that until somebody said something this past week, and I was like, and I stopped, and I was like, "Are you wait a minute. Now. And when I'm like, what? Tomlin's the only black head coach? But here's the thing, Coach Quick. I'm gonna set the table up, and I want you to take. I want you to take the first, first stab at this. So uh -huh. when, when you got two offensive coordinators, two offensive coordinators, and both of them have won Super Bowls. One we know is Eric Bieniemy and uh, from the Kansas City Chiefs, and they won the Super Bowl. And the other is Brian Leftwich, uh, who won the Super Bowl with uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now we do know at the taping of the show that Eric Bieniemy is interviewing for the. New Orleans Saints head job since Sean Payton stepping away. What is your take as it relates to these two offensive coordinators 
Both offensive coordinators are Super Bowl champions with their respective teams. The next year, they didn't have a head coaching job. They were back as offensive coordinator. Your take? My take is I feel like Mahinami should have been hired a couple of years ago. Um, Byron Leftwich should have got a job right after winning the Super Bowl last year. He's proven. I mean, he played in the league. He was a quarterback in the league. Most of, most people say quarterbacks are the smartest players in the league. Hopefully he gets this job. But And to piggyback off of the Brian Flores thing for a minute, Brian Flores won the last two years in Miami. It's been hard to win in Miami since Dan Marino retired. This guy brought his team back and had him in the playoff picture in the hunt at the end of this season, and he still got fired. He was still fired after having a winning record. There's something that's not right. There's Nobody can tell me that it's right. I believe these guys are not getting a fair shake. Something has to change. Brian Flores, he took the stand. He realized he may not be able to coach in the National Football League ever again. But he had to he had to go Naz to stand up and to and and um and make a stand. And I appreciate him for that. You know what, without a doubt. And and, and here's my thing. I am I'm, I'm gonna go with this and then I'm gonna turn it on you, turn it over to you to, to, to get us out of here. But when the when an organization goes out and they hire Urban Meyer and all the baggage that comes with that dude. He doesn't even make he doesn't even make it a season. And there he is in some bar or whatever happened, you know, once again, you know, a leopard doesn't change his spots. That's and, right. And this guy he he has a he has a history. He has a behavior. How does this guy get a nod? How does Eric B. Enemy not get a nod? Uh, and I and I understand the the Rooney rule, uh, but when I see Tony Dungy, and actually I saw an interview with Tony Dungy yesterday, uh, when Dungy has been telling the commissioner for years, and I know, and, and during this interview he also talked about the late Johnny Cochran, and then how he was saying litigate, you know, you don't want litigation to come in. He said, and Johnny Cochran was saying this, you know, years and years ago, that you you're going down a slippery slope. And what you do when you when you have a league that is, you know, the numbers are 70% and you got coaches and you got these guys, how are these guys not giving? And here's the thing. They're just not offensive coordinators. They're Super Bowl winning offensive coordinators. You got – you, and actually, think about it. They, they, they got the two of the best quarterbacks in the league. They got the GOAT and Tom Brady, who was, you know, offensive coordinator was Brian Leftwich. And then you got Pat Mahomes at Kansas City, and Eric Bannemi was his offensive coordinator. So in that whole role is to say, what are these guys doing? Who's not giving an opportunity? Who is not giving them a fair share? And to your point, uh, the uh, Flores, when he's in Miami, and he's not winning. Think about it. Would Mike Tomlin still be in the league if he wasn't coaching for the Steelers? He he been there. I think it's sixteen seasons, and in sixteen seasons, not a losing record. In my lifetime, I only know three Steeler head coaches: Chuck Noll, Bill Cowher, and Mike Tomlin. And I'm fifty five years old. 
So it's not it's not just a cold. One of these owners and, and the network uh, understand that, you know what, you got to put the ownership sometimes on these players. You're paying them millions of dollars and they're not getting it done. And next thing you know is, let's, okay, guess what? We, we need a new coach. We need a new coach. We need, okay, you know what? When is, when is Billy not being held accountable? When is Billy not holding his end of the stick up? So, we you know, we want to flip coaches, but as we flip coaches, you got to be able to give these guys that's out here that is proven. So here's the thing I want somebody to do. I'm going to do some research, Coach Quick. I'm going to yes, find sir. out the offensive coordinators that have won the Super Bowl, who's gone on to be a head coach the next year. Who who has been an offensive coordinator that has won a Super Bowl and not been and not interviewed for a job? Who's been an offensive coordinator? Or just like Flores said, when he goes up, he gets an email and finds out that they've already hired the guy even before he goes in for the interview. I mean, that's, yeah. that, that's a slap. I mean, if, if you check in the box, man, Zoom call me. Don't have me, you know, fly to your place and come in and you give me this whole song and dance. And then to, uh, Coach Dungey was saying that, you know, don't be interviewing people during the playoffs. I'm trying to get my squad ready and you want me to come in and talk to you when I'm trying to get my my defense or whatever set up, you know, the, the league has got to stop that because basically they already know who they want to hire anyway. That's right. You know, and I'll say it like this. It's almost like them teachers always being the teacher's lounge talking about students um, before they even get them in their class. Just if you're, if you, Coach Quick, if you taught PE and I, and I taught, and I taught physical science and me and you talking and I turn around and say, man, that kid's a bad kid. Man, that, every time he comes to my class, man, okay, you know what? What have I done to help that kid? Or am I just going to sit on the sideline in the teacher's lounge and want to hear what that teacher's going to say? So I've already got my preconceived notion, even before that student get in my class, that, right. already, that I already know that kid's a bad kid. Okay, so what have you done? What have you done as the teacher to learn that kid for yourself versus taking your opinion? Because you know what? All coaches aren't bad. Sometimes it's a personality conflict. Sometimes you 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 may want to run an up tempo offense, and I want to run ball control. So in That's that right. in that whole deal, where where are we as fans? Where are we as you know people that love the game are gonna say, okay, you know what? If you don't make this right, if this dude gonna file a lawsuit and ain't gonna get right. I don't I don't have no problem saying, okay, you know what? We, we need to take a we need to take a stand. The players need to take a stand. And be able to say, okay, just like I think you said it on the pregame. I'm gonna to toss it back over to you because I don't got on my so you don't got me fired up, coach. Is to be yeah, able is just like what uh, uh, Colin Kaepernick, right? You 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 gonna go out here and, and, and he takes a stand, and then and then the, guess what? Everything he stood for, man, it just started just you know as, as the old saying goes, you reap what you sow. That's he, right. He goes out here and takes a stand, man, and it just started. Well, he needs to be sta- – okay, you know what? I understand that. But you understand that, you know what? You didn't send him no money. You ain't asking him to come over your house to, to uh, for dinner. That man walked away for millions of dollars. Now, you didn't. You, That's right. You, are you taking a stance on your job? Are you going to go on your job and take a stance? He took a stance. He had he had a platform on national television. He took a stance. So you you trying okay d- d- un- until you go a mile in his shoes don't don't jump on his on 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 his back and say he shouldn't do this he shouldn't do that no he took a stance and some people take stances and 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 it cost them their lives and what we That's do 
You know, we sit back and we have opinions we do in our show. And if you don't agree with what we're saying on our show, then you start your own show. But what, what, what we're telling you is what how we feel, how we try to look at it through a lens of, again, when you step back, that's what my challenge, my, again, my challenge is this. I want somebody that's listening, go out and find us the offensive coordinators for former Super Bowl teams that haven't interviewed for head coaching jobs. Coach Quick, I'm tossing back to you. Yes, sir. Uh, Coach G, I completely agree with everything you said, and you're spot on with the Colin Kaepernick situation. Whenever they finally did come back and say, no, we're going to give him an opportunity, it wasn't a fair shake. But I look over at Josh McDaniels. He won the Super Bowl as the offensive coordinator. He had that um, that Tim Tebow debacle in, in Denver when he was the head coach there. He, he didn't do anything. Now he's gotten the opportunity again to be the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. Come on, man. It's a joke. Give these black OCs a chance, black DCs a chance to prove themselves and be head coaches in this league. That's right. Because you know what? We ultimately know it's, it's one and done. You're going to get, yes, you, you're going to get one shot and, and, uh, and, and you may, you may be gone. The only guy that may get a shot if he ever leaves the Steelers organization is Tomlin. Just because he's been there, done that, and he's got a T-shirt, and he may, but these new guys come up. And if you don't win instantly, you may not be around. So, Coach Quick, yes, get us to the locker room. For Coach Goins and for myself, Coach Quick, we'll see you in the gym. You've been listening to Basketball More Than a Game with Coach Goins and Coach Quick. Our podcast is available on podbean.com.